listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 The lead is, in my opinion, last thing we saw Sunday night, New England, Cam, Seattle, with a let Russell eat mentality, or cook, I think it is. I think it's very telling about both teams, and I think we start there. Yeah, and it was a classic on Sunday Night Football in Seattle. It went down to the wire. The Patriots with an opportunity, two seconds remaining to win the game on the road. Cam Newton gets stopped at the goal line, and it was the Seahawks beating the Patriots 35-30 to last night on Sunday Night Football. In Vegas, you look at the games, and there's two effects of these games. Number one is, what is the practical effect when it comes to the season, playoffs, divisions. For example, 3-3 in a seven-game series, Denver, let's say, against the Clippers. Game seven could have told you a lot of things about Denver, a lot of things about the Clippers, but what it really told you was one team was going to advance and one team wasn't. What we like to do is everyone can get the, oh, okay, New England's one and one, okay, Seattle. But the question is, what did we learn? So, Fez, let's start with the power ratings. What did you do with Seattle? Did not move them. So you said what you thought about Seattle net-net coming in the game, you thought about the same thing leaving the game. Yes. New England. Did not adjust them, but I was considering upgrading New England despite not covering. And what, did you doze off before you did it? Or, or <laughs> what What was your decision not to? Because my thought would be you got to upgrade them. Yeah, the offense was so good. Cam was so good. Whoa, 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 whoa. Obviously, when you have a bunch of points, the defense wasn't good. Let's start there. But net-net... The expectation for New England with the ball at the end of the game was what? Meaning if there was an eight-quarter game, let's say that game wasn't ending, New England would have kicked the field goal, right? Yes. So they did better than expectation effectively. Yes. But somehow they don't get upgraded. Well, they're down 12 midway through the fourth quarter. Which makes it amazing that they came back. Yes. See, that's the, that's the thing is – is it good or bad to be up early? Because if a team gets up really early and the other team fights back the whole game – is that good or bad? Meaning that, that I know it'd be nice to win by 28 and be plus seven all four quarters. I, I, that's the easy assessment. But in general, when do you discount a result? Because it sounded like what you were saying was, well, because they were down by this much in the fourth quarter, it does what? It invalidates? And I'm, I'm asking seriously, what, give me the two or three scenarios that you'll discount a final score because it happened in this order. The backdoor scores, I tend to not give as much credit Backdoor implies, though, the game has been decided. Yes. So well, was any of the New England scores backdoor in that sense? Yes, because they were down. Really? The, the game had been decided. Oh, all right. Uh, so, Jack, let me just, you can re answer the question. All right, none of them were. Then why would they be invalidated? Just because they did get one of, they almost I, got we're two. We're not touchdowns. hearing anything yet. Go they ahead. got a late touchdown, down 12, and Seattle's. Defense did play a little soft, too. Oh, so that was the eye test. Yes. So you watched every game. Mm-hmm. The, you watched every game last night. I did. How could you? I did, went to the NFL Rewind. And, and you sat all. there from the Rewind and watched every one? I went through them all. What does went through mean? I, I, there's 34 minutes. All right, so did you watch all 34 minutes of every game? No. Okay, so how many did you watch? I watched the majority of the game. So half the games you watched on Rewind. Yes. Okay. So when I said all and you said yes, you meant half. I watched part of every game. Oh! Not, all, not you mean, the every You mean play. you watched the red zone? Yep. The key. The key yeah. So people who watch the red zone don't say they watched every game. All right. So somehow in this game, though, you did watch it. New England and Seattle. And you said because... And what was the score situation at the time you're discounting the touchdown? How much? It, t- it was 35-23 midway. All right. So 11 quarter. points with eight minutes left. 
Yeah. And you figure Seattle didn't care if New England scored. Well, they... Let's go to Jonas. Jonas Knox in L.A., do you discount the last eight minutes of the game? No. No, I thought, I thought New England played well, and I thought New England came up with a stop when they needed to come up with a stop, and they had an opportunity to win that game on the road. I come away impressed with New England and impressed with Seattle at the same time. I think that's fair. You know, sometimes less words are better. But I will say this. I guess the question is, why not upgrade Seattle? Because it seems like in a weird way, if you discount the New England scoring late, then you have to make Seattle... That's the team that was up 11, right, seven eights through the game. Yes. So why not upgrade them? Because Cam was so good against their defense. Cam was- oh, so now you're figuring it's because of the weak defense that Cam was good. Well, Cam was only supposed to throw for about 235 yards, all right? All right, so the over-under coming into the game. Yes. He went for just under 400, so mm-hmm. he smashed through his expectation. And he didn't have James White. James White was a, a late scratch, and he's an important player to the New England offense that doesn't move the needle, but certainly I would have expected that that would have hurt the offense. And I love So the- that seems like we should upgrade New England. Yes. Hmm. That's Steve Fezzik equivocating. I'm R.J. Bell. In reflection, you know, here's what's funny. You can downgrade both teams. You can upgrade both teams. I mean, it's relative to some degree. Uh, I personally think you've got to give New England a ton of credit. Uh, and, and maybe this is what we should segue to. Seattle kept throwing the ball, meaning last week they threw the ball a lot versus Atlanta. And there was a speculation, uh-oh, maybe finally Pete Carroll has figured out that if you don't put Russell Wilson in a deficit, if you don't make him always be thrown from behind late, or almost always, he's going to be more efficient. The analytics guys love this. Throwing it more. After Atlanta, I thought it was a canard, as they say. Is um, The coach, Seattle, he says, hey, Pete Carroll says, listen, we're going to get back to the running game next week. And I thought, really? Why would he say that after that performance? From what we saw, Fez, uh, it seems like a change in mentality. Seattle will be throwing more early in games and early in the downs than they had in the past. Yeah, so they wound up close to 50-50 last night, runs and passes, but they were very aggressive, Seattle was, in the first half, which was in stark contrast to how they were playing last year. They were throwing it to Metcalf, throwing it to Lockett, two really good wide receivers. And the way to look at these stats when it comes to the split is in a given situation, so it might be not in the fourth quarter and not third or fourth down. So when you have a, a choice, first down, you get a choice. Yes. Early in the game, you have choice. Now, if you're down 15, you don't have a lot of choice. If you're up 15, you're kind of forced to run more. It's just math, right? In the situation Seattle has had choices, Seattle has been throwing the ball a lot more this year, two games in, than prior years. Absolutely. And as you're looking at that, Jonas, in Los Angeles, does that – it seems like the numbers tell us it benefits Seattle and Russell Wilson. Is that how you see it? Yeah, and I wonder if it's also the development of their wide receivers. Maybe there's a little bit more trust in the fact that you've got DK Metcalf, who went head-to-head with Stephon Gilmore, who might be the best cover corner in the NFL, and he had some really, really good moments against him. So it could just be a trust factor. My biggest concern moving forward with Seattle isn't really on the offense. They have virtually no pass rush. They were second to last in the NFL in sacks a year ago. They're near the bottom again through two weeks this season. And I just wonder if you get a if you get a team that can sit back there and can just pick you apart underneath, if that's going to be the issue for Seattle as they try and move on. And we're going to go over in the next segment some of the key injuries 
but I was just listening across the league, but I was just listening to the Fox Sports Radio update, and it seems like Seattle's got banged up, not marquee players so much, but even banged up more on defense. Yeah. So uh, to me, that's what's the underdeveloped work in the NFL often amongst the media are those non-premier, non-marquee injuries. Because as Fez says very acutely, or I don't say astutely in this case, is if you have cluster injuries, like a second safety out, a second linebacker, it gets bad. Because you usually got one good, decent, serviceable backup. You go to that second offensive lineman, you got big trouble. Yes. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Injuries, of course, the story in Week 2. Also, that epic Sunday night game we were discussing between the Seattle Seahawks and the New England Patriots. Yeah, I mean, epic is a great word for it. Seattle, 429 yards, 22 first downs. Patriots, 464 yards. So more yards, Faz, on the road. 29 first downs. More first downs on the road. Somehow Seattle covers. But, and I didn't have either side. But New England played, I think it's fair to say, exceeded expectations. A lot of professionals would have upgraded the Patriots. Fez doesn't. Any closing thoughts on that? Just the chemistry Cam had with Edelman was really tremendous. Remember Brady. A reason for an upgrade, perhaps. Yeah, but remember Brady. <laughs> the feeling was Edelman was because of Brady, but Edelman went for 179 yards last night. So now you're staying staunchly in the position, though, that neutral. You can't even think New England's any better because of last night. Neutral, you're saying. I'm neutral. <clears throat> That's Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. Now, if you look at the yards per play, now the NFL average is five and a half yards per play. Seattle gained 7.2, Patriots 6.6. So Patriots over a yard over the NFL average. Seattle over two yards over the NFL average per snap. It was all about the offense. Cam QBR 73, Wilson 88. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the MVP odds tomorrow, but Jonas is a aficionado of the media. Collinsworth talking about that Russell Wilson has never received an MVP vote. The old saying is Yogi Berra style. Oh, no one goes to that restaurant anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> Sometimes you can be so underrated you're overrated. It strikes me that Wilson not receiving any first place votes in his career for MVP, helps him because it has the narrative, oh, he's underrated. What do you think? Yeah, it feels like a little bit of a lifetime achievement award. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but that's been the push all offseason. And it was almost like somebody discovered it, and then they tweeted it, and then other people got a hold of it, and they said, oh, my God, you mean to tell me? And now it feels like without – I don't know who, if he continues to play well, I don't know who has got a legitimate opportunity to win the MVP from him because it feels like there's more of a push this year to try and get him that award. And all you got to do is look at the year-by-year amongst former or prior MVPs. Because in theory, if you win one, you think you'd be right in the frame for the next one, meaning everyone's looking at your stats. But statistically... Year to year, if someone wins one year, it decreases the chance of them winning the next year, it seems. Because it's like, oh, that's boring. It goes to the old when Barkley won one and MJ didn't that year. And I think Malone won one and MJ did You know, to some degree, you can't give it to the same guy every year is, is the thought process. 
I think this is the perfect storm for Russell Wilson to at least get fair attention. And I think things like these narratives are tiebreakers. If one guy's clearly better, you know, but if it's close, it's all about the narrative. Remember, hey. remember, who's voting on this are writers. Exactly. It is a tiebreaker. I love the way you put that. And because Mahomes, because Jackson have their MVPs, now Russell Wilson, he's the favorite to win the MVP. You've seen the early odds? Yes. Yeah. So when we mentioned we talk about it tomorrow, you figure, why don't you read them right now? You got the odds? Well, <clears throat> go ahead, Steve. Russell Wilson's plus 330. Okay. Favorite. Who's second? Mahomes and. Uh, uh, what's Mahomes'? Is? He's four to one. Uh huh. Jackson's four to one. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Real quick, what did you do with the Chargers and Herbert? And I mean, like, let's say for the next game, because what I'm hearing is Chargers want to go back to Tyrod Taylor. Though that was kind of interesting. The news guy at the top of the hour said uh, he missed the game because of an undisclosed injection. Right before the game, it's like what? that sounded like like why Slash missed Guns and Roses shows back in the '90s. An undisclosed injection before the event. What the heck was going on there? I, I don't know. I actually was wondering this because I just saw the game start and all of a sudden Herbert was out there, and I thought, oh, maybe I missed something. There must have been an injury on the first play, only to find out it happened right before kickoff. So was there even enough time for there to be a line adjustment in Vegas to see that line move based on Herbert coming in? I saw it close minus nine. It ticked up half a point, but i, I got to be honest. Well, so, so slow down. If you had known uh, three minutes before – the Herbert was going to start, what would you have done to the spread? One and a half point adjustment. Adjustment to which direction? To favorite. To All right, so you City. would have said that helps Kansas City by a point and a half. Yes. And now watching the game, what would you say? Oh, you watched them all, so we know. I think Herbert played great, and now I'd rate Taylor and Herbert virtually equal. Okay, so you're saying a point and a half upgrade with your expectations on Herbert. Yes. To me, Jonas, if you're playing, here's the, where the challenge is for an NFL team that's not competing for a title in a given year. And we don't know for sure, but Chargers aren't thinking Super Bowl. If the team, if the veteran is a little bit better, that's the tough time. Because are you willing to trade success now? But the success might not matter all that much, right? If it's going 8-8 eight and eight instead of 6-10 and ten for better play later. I, I get that. It's a tough, you got to balance it. Taylor, now we're going to be a little bit better, but Herbert getting his time now helps us next year. But if Herbert's better or equal, why in the heck wouldn't you play the young guy now, Jonas? Yeah, it, well, it feels like he's got a much higher ceiling. He can do things down the field. His arm's never been in question. He's always had an he's a, he's always had a really strong arm, and he's really really athletic. Um, the fact that he came in and played like that with little to no notice before the game was was impressive. I don't know what that means for the Chiefs' defense, but he did play really well. I also think the other interesting part of this discussion is. You know, Anthony Lynn, the head coach, the thought is, well, you know, when Tyrod's healthy, we're going to go back to Tyrod. If if they have a bad year and say they roll with the rookie and he deals with rookie mistakes and they have, you know, a six-win season, there's no guarantees that Anthony Lynn's going to be brought back next year because there were some questions as to whether or not he was going to be brought back mm. this year. So all of a sudden, his best interests and the organization's best interests aren't in line, and then I think that's where you have a little bit of the power struggle with what to do. That... Tag that, baby. That's one of the smartest things you've said because you're right. Misaligned interests. And you see it all the time. That's what I think Seattle might be showing us a little bit of 
with the trade for Adams. Maybe Pete Carroll's got a couple years left in him, almost 70 years old. He's not worried about that first-round pick in four years yeah. or three years. There's all In any business endeavor, if you read Warren Buffett, for example, misaligned interests are one of the key things he always tried to avoid when he would invest in companies. I think that's a brilliant point. If you're only concerned about this year and keeping your job, you probably want Taylor. But if you're thinking about the next five years, I think you want Herbert. Yes. And I also have to give uh, Bucky Brooks made this point on Fox Sports Radio this weekend in talking about Cam Newton and the Patriots situation. One of the discussions that's being had is, well, you know, can Cam hold up long term if they continue to run him like that? And Bucky pointed out, look, Belichick's not thinking long term. He's not worried about what Cam's future is going to be like. He's worried about this year and what's the best way for them to win games this year. So Belichick's best interest and Cam's best interest long-term, they aren't aligned either, which leads me to believe you're going to see more of the same rushing attack from Cam Newton all year. Now, this is very interesting because I agree with you, except I don't like, or I would say, let's put some nuance on the misalignment here. There's a real chance that Cam could sign a three-, four-year deal in New England. The theory, I mean, they were paying Brady. Brady might have taken a discount, but they were paying him big, big money. Now, I'm not saying Cam's Brady, but if Cam's willing to take a re, let's say Cam's worth 25 a year based on what he'll do this year, maybe Belichick pays 23, meaning he'll pay big money. He just doesn't want to pay over or even equal to what the market is. So, yes, if we know for sure Cam's leaving, the more hits he takes this year hurts his value. In the future, I agree, Hunter. I just don't know if it's for sure he's leaving. But it's the same thing with a fourth-year running back. That's why these running backs have been so insistent on holding out before year four. They want that deal before that fourth year, and they've all gotten it so far when they held out. I'm RJ Bell, straight out of Vegas. Now here's the exact quote: uh, Ian Rappaport said Taylor inactive due to quote complications from a pregame injection. Now, I'm not saying at all that that's nefarious. I don't. Oh, Fez is hitting the board. One second. Marijuana, acid, and hashish. What do you mean by that, Steve? You... I don't know. <laughs> all right. It was weird. Again, that no one's saying anything here. Now, go ahead. Taylor did have to go to the emergency room, apparently. It was that severe, the chest pains he had. Marijuana, acid, and hashish. We got to take that board away from him. <laughs> I mean, he's, it's weird because I got a big board with, he's got like six buttons. I never know which ones he's going to press. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.